Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And God, we pray that we'd have eyes that are awakened to see you. We'd have ears that are open to hear you. We'd have hearts that are ready to receive you. Lord, whether we've been in this church many years or whether this is our first and perhaps our only visit, God, would you fill this place with your presence and would we know that you love us, not just a crowd, but individuals. And God, I pray that wherever we've come from, people from other nations that are here this morning, or whether we're hell-zoning people, born and bred, Lord, every one of us is special, valuable, precious in your sight. So God, would you speak to us? God, even I pray that you would give us a specific word. Many of us have come with questions in our life. God, I pray that you'd speak into that today. That we go away knowing that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who lives on the earth by his spirit. And God, I pray that we would receive that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to take your seats. I want to ask Excel if you could head out. Please, guys, have a great time. Thank you, band. Fantastic. We're going to come back and sing again uh, in a moment. I want to just tell you, though, that um, yesterday and Friday night, uh, the elders who are the, like the leadership team or one of the, the main leadership team here in the church, myself, we were away for a 24-hour retreat, which we do uh, every year. And um, we really sensed that we had a great time together. We ate way too much food for a retreat, to be honest with you. Uh, but, but we had a great time together. And we really sensed as we were praying and discussing together that this season that we're in as a church right now is absolutely critical and vital to us. And if you're a visitor this morning, you've come from another church or you've come from another country, you're here with OM or you're just visiting, then we're really glad you're here, okay? We really are and we hope that you get a lot out of the service. But I want to say to those of you that consider this is your church, okay, this is that community, we're in a crucial time as, as a church. And I want to ask you, all of you, to be praying over these next few weeks. Okay, because in, in a month's time, on the 18th and 19th of October, we'll be gathering you together and sharing vision and where we're at with the building and what we believe God is saying and all of that. We really believe this is a crucial time for us. And as part of that, what we're going to do is that over the next four weeks, I'm going to be looking at some letters that were written to some churches 2,000 years ago, okay, in the book of Revelation. I've never looked at this series before, so this is all fresh to me. Um, it may be old hat to you, but it's fresh to me, and I hope it will come over in a fresh way to you as well. We believe that this is going to speak into who we are as a church and then when God speaks specifically to us we'll have kind of open hearts ready to hear what he wants to say. We're going to use um, some modern technology, we're experimenting with some new uh, mediums of communication as well so as a way of introducing this series take a look at the screen. We live in a culture that loves communication. Every day we're bombarded by messages from all different places and all different sources. But I do wonder, are we so saturated by communication that actually we miss the really important messages? How would you react if you heard that God himself had sent you a message, that in your inbox was mail from Jesus? That's kind of what happened around 2,000 years ago to seven churches in Asia Minor. It weren't messages in their inbox. These were dictated by Jesus to the Apostle John while he was on the island of Patmos. And we can now find those messages in the book that we know as Revelation. Can you imagine being in one of those churches and sitting together and listening as someone read out that message from Jesus that came through the words of the Apostle John? Does God have something to say to us through these ancient words? Do we really have ears to hear?
This is Ephesus, one of the most important archaeological sites in the world. In its day, Ephesus was the major city in Asia Minor, which is the area we now know as modern-day Turkey. At its height, Ephesus had a population of around 300,000 people, and it was an important city for commerce and for trade and for religion. If you walk through Ephesus, and you can do that today if you go there to the archaeological site, there's a road that runs through the middle that was 11 metres wide that goes straight down to the old port. There are some amazing buildings in Ephesus. The Temple of Diana or Artemis was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. There was a large colony of Jews here in Ephesus and in AD 52 Paul made his first short visit along with Priscilla and Aquila. In Acts chapter 19 Paul visits Ephesus again on his third missionary journey where he begins to establish and build a thriving church. The problem was the spread of the church, the spread of the gospel, began to threaten local businessmen who made money selling idols to the local people. It culminated in this very amphitheatre where a riot started out and it meant that Paul had to flee from the city for his life. But Paul left Timothy, the young Timothy in Ephesus, who consolidated the growth of the church. From this place, the gospel began to spread throughout the whole of the ancient world. This is the mother church, this is the headquarters, and Ephesus, you've got mail. That's pretty cool, isn't it, that? And I can also do the weather as well, if you want me, if you want me to do that, so I can actually do, <laughs> do, do the weather report. If you've got a mobile phone, I'd like you to put it in your hand, and I'd like you to say after me, I can switch this on to silent. Can you do that? I will not text. I will not Facebook. I will not tweet. I will only look at it if I'm looking at the Bible. Can you say that with me after me? Is that all right? Okay, you get the point. Um, the book of Revelation is an amazing book. How many of you really understand everything about the book of Revelation? So easy to understand, isn't it? It's so clear. It's so obvious what it's all about. It was written uh, by the Apostle John around AD 95. And um, it was written to a church, to the early church that was, if you like, beginning had begun to grow and expand now and we were planting churches out and in the Roman world in, in, in Asia Minor and all, all around there and about to enter into a very difficult time of persecution under the, the back end of the reign of the Emperor Nero and the front end of the reign of the Emperor Domitian and much of Revelation is about the future but the bit that we're going to look at the next four weeks is not about the future it's about the present and in chapters two and three Jesus speaks through the Apostle John directly to seven churches, seven established churches in Asia Minor, and we'll look at all of that, and you saw it on there. And this is about what God wants to say to them in the now. This is not about the future, this is about right now. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at these uh, ancient churches and we look at these ancient letters and these messages, We'll look at it in context, which is why I want you to see images and I want you to understand a little bit of the history of these places. But, but beyond all of that, we're asking the question, God, what are you trying to say to us? Because we've got ears to hear, haven't we? Have we? We've got ears to hear. Our ears are open. Spirit, what is it that you're trying to say to this church and to our lives? And it kicks off in um, chapter 2, uh, verse 1, to the church in Ephesus. 
And it says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, that may be a literal angel, like wings and a Gabriel. It may actually more be about kind of like the spirit, like a spirit of that church. In other words, it's a little bit like every church has its own kind of feel and its own spirit, its own culture, its own DNA. And it's like the church in Ephesus was different from the church in Philadelphia, different from the church in Corinth and Philippi. And there's like an angel, there's like a spirit, a different kind of culture about each of these outbreakings of church. And, and it's interesting what, what it says there. It says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you haven't worked out what these Chinese lantern things are over here, these are representing our seven churches. And I know the light's not very bright, but there is a light inside each one. And this imagery and this metaphor that Jesus is using is really important because Jesus says, you know, these seven churches, I, the Lord of the church, walk among them. This is important. We have to understand that this church is not our church primarily, it's his In fact, any church, the kingdom of God, the church across the world is not ours, it's his, isn't it? He's the head, the Bible says. He's the Lord of the church and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And and, and that image, that metaphor for lampstands and light is really important. And if you were a Jew, when you heard that metaphor of light and that image of light, you immediately think of many, many Old Testament scriptures. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Isaiah 60. In Isaiah 58, where it talks about, listen, if you live righteous lives, if you look after the poor, if you release those who are in prison, if you, if, if you feed the hungry, if you do that, if you live a, a life of justice and a life of righteousness, your light will shine like the dawn. And then, and then those, those early believers, many of them would remember back to perhaps when they were gathered on the hillside as young men or young women, and, um, or, or, they're, or they hear their stories of their fathers and mothers, when Jesus in Matthew 5 and 6 looked at this ragtag group of uh, Palestinian uh, people and he said to them, you know what guys, you are the light of the world. And what do you do with light? Well, you don't hide it, you let it shine. And so right from the start, he says to the church in Ephesus, just like he says to every church, you guys have a light and you have to let that light shine. And we need to understand that as Christians and as churches, and I know that maybe some of you here who don't consider yourself Christian, that's fine. You're welcome. We hope you understand a little bit of what we're about, okay? And you might want to be a part of that as well. But as Christians and churches, we have to understand that the light we have is not just for us. It's so that it shines in dark places, Amen? And right from the front, he says to Ephesus, listen, this is important. You've got a light and you've got to let it shine. So my message to you is in the context of who you are and what you're about. And um, I mean, can you imagine, like, can you imagine being the church in Ephesus and you get a Facebook message or a tweet, okay, which was definitely around 2,000 years ago, not. Uh, you get a message, all right, saying you've got to come to church this Sunday morning or Saturday morning and, uh, and you've got to come because do you know what? We're going to have a message from Jesus himself. Can you imagine how excited you'd be? A lot more excited than you are now. That's a certain fact. You'd be so excited and you'd gather together and you'd be really eagerly waiting. What is Jesus, the Lord of the church, going to say to us? This is a message just for us. And do you know what he says? He kicks off with really, really good news. Verse 2, I know your deeds, 
your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my my name and have not grown weary. You know, in verse 6, you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a group of early believers that that were peddling an idea that it didn't matter what you did with your life as long as you said you love God. Do you know what I mean? Basically, if you say you love God, you can live like you please. That's the Nicolaitans in a nutshell. And so the message that comes to the Ephesians church is this. You are a great church. You've persevered. You've got great deeds. You've got a reputation. You stand for truth. You do some great stuff. In fact, the church in Ephesus was around 40 years old. It was established. It had influence. It, it, was, it was, if you like, a resource church for the area. All the churches looked to it around there. And what the good news is, is that Ephesus, you are a great church. That's good, isn't it? You'd be great. You'd be, you'd be really pleased to hear that. And I want to say that I see a lot of this in us as a church. This is a great church. We're a part of a great church. If you're a part of this church, you are a part of a great church. We're now coming into our fourth decade, if you like, up to that kind of period. So we're not a new church in that sense. I mean, we are in the light of 2,000 years, but we're not in that sense. We're established now. We've got something going on. We have a, a reputation. We have an influence. We're doing some good stuff. And that's all good. That's all good news. But, <laughs> and you know, good news is often followed by bad news. And in verse 4, it says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The message puts it this way. You've walked away from your first love. And there's lots of uh, controversy about what this means. I've read lots of different people that say all kinds of things about what first love means. And as I've thought about it myself, I've thought, does it mean that this church in Ephesus is a great church but it's lost that loving feeling, do you know, to quote the song. It's, like, it's, not, not that kind of, it's not as loving emotionally as what it once was. So I thought, does that mean, like, in a marriage situation, Alison, we've been married for ever, for a long time. No, 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 in a good sense. And does, does it mean, we, we've been together since we were teenagers, since 16. Does it mean... In, if, we, if we've lost our first, does it mean that we have to return to the feelings that we had when we were 16 or 17? I hope not, all right, because they were quite traumatic uh, in my case anyway. It doesn't mean that because the word love, the word love in this context is the word agape, agape. It's not an emotional, uh, romantic love. It's the highest kind of love you can have. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that puts others first before you. It's a love that does things because it's so passionate. It's the love that God has for us. It's not about an emotion or a feeling, but it is about a passion. It's about a passion that internally causes you to live out of. You live from the inside out. You live out of this passion. You do what you do because of who you love and the way you love them. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. He doesn't say that as a threat. He says it as a promise, doesn't he? You know, if you love me with this agape love, with this passion, you will do what you do out of that. But the problem is, when we lose that sense of passion, when we lose that sense of love, we live and we do, but we're not living and doing out of an internal passion. And it's really interesting because we want to hear what mail we've got. See, we've got mail as well. 
And uh, what we've got mail about is from this church is this. We have to be passionate. Our message, I believe God's message to us as Zion is, listen Zion, you're growing up now. You know, you're not a kid anymore as a church. You've got some influence. You know, you've got some influence in the locality. We've seen some amazing stuff happening at the moment in our locality. You know, with police coming and talking and working with us and social services and authorities and all stuff. Which is great. We've got some influence overseas. Just come back from Albania. You know, we were in Bulgaria a month ago. We, we, we helped start a, a youth movement that's, that's national now in Bulgaria. Thousands of young people. We're now involved in training leaders in Albania. You know, we're, we're working with some guys in Kosovo. Just about to see some other people from Romania. God is giving us some influence as a church. But we have to remember... That all that we do has to come out of our passion for Jesus. It has to come out of our passion for Jesus or we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You know, I I love music and often a band's first album is often better than the second album. Do you know that? The reason is the first album is about the music. The second album is is about the car and the house. Often. Often. Because the first one is all just about the music and it's just about the passion of that. But by the time they get to the second album, now they want to make loads of money. So it's about that. And often it's that flip that happens, you know, when our, our activity for God is, is, comes out of our passion for Jesus or when it just comes out of a sense of duty or habit or what we've always done. And, and Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, don't be like that. Be passionate. Now, I want to say that what I believe he's saying to many of those believers as they gathered, is that this, you used to have a burning inferno of passion. Now it's just like a flicker. And if you have lost your first love and that fire begins to fat, kind of flicker down, one of two things will happen. Number one, one of the things that will happen is this. Eventually you will walk away. You'll walk away from the community of faith and ultimately in many, many cases you'll walk away from God. The tragic thing is that many people who need to hear this aren't here today because they're walking away. But the second thing that can happen is this, that you might not walk away, you'll stay and you'll carry on doing, but you'll be doing it kind of through going through the motions. It's possible to live for God without loving God. It's possible to do the right things but not have that passion. It's interesting in the, in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul writes to Ephesians, the first three chapters are very different from the second three chapters. The first three are all about who God is, what Jesus has done, and our response to that. The last three chapters are all about how we should live. And, and that's, that's not an accident, is it? It's because we should live out of who we are and out of our passion for God. We should love God with all of our heart and then live out of that passion. You see, ministry or life that flows out of intimacy is powerful. But ministry or life that doesn't, isn't. Can't make it clearer than that, can I? You know, our life that flows out of intimacy with God is powerful. But if it doesn't, it isn't. It's a little bit like we can become like a a travel agent selling a brochure to people about places that we've never been to. And I want to say to you, Ephesus this morning, imagine you're Ephesus, be passionate. We're doing loads of great stuff as a church. You're doing loads of great stuff in your life, in the marketplace. Many of you are involved in serving here in the church. We must never lose our passion for Jesus. We don't grow up out of that. We grow a deeper, maturing passion. But we still live out of our relationship with Christ. 
You see, the scary thing is that Jesus says, and he goes on to say it later on here, you see, if you don't, you know, it talks about what to do. He says, if you don't do this, if you don't come back to your first love, do you know what I'm going to do? I may well come to you, Ephesus, and I may actually turn your light off. That's scary, isn't it? They thought that Jesus, the Lord of the church, might come to the church and say, I'm going to switch the lights out. You know, and I've looked into the eyes of many, many believers, and, I, and, and, and the phrase that's gone through my mind is this, do you know what? The lights are off. Spiritually, the lights are off. People who've walked with God, who've led people, who've had passion, but who have over time just walked away from their first love, and somehow along the line, the lights have been switched off. And I tell you what, it's really hard for them to come back. Really hard. Now you might say, okay, Leon, that's quite scary. How do I know that I might be in danger of walking away from my first love? Let me give you a few early warning signs. Some of you are going to think, oh, that's ridiculous. These are early warning signs. How many of you look at the dashboard on your car and if lights flicker, you do something about it, don't you? Well, Simon Woodward doesn't apparently. Or do he just, uh, <laughs> just joking. If you missed that, that was an in-joke, okay? He, he, he basically runs his car down and we'll, we'll leave it. Just, just, just listen on the podcast to his talk and you'll understand that. Sorry, that was an in-joke. Well, early warning signs are really, really important. Let me give you a few. Let, just even imagine, just in this space, when you come on a Sunday and you gather to worship, let me give you some early warning signs. Am I on autopilot a lot of the time when I sing or when I listen to the Bible? Am I actually on autopilot? I'm listening, but I'm not really listening. I'm singing, but I'm not really singing. I'm responding, but I'm not really responding. It's a little bit like, yes, God, you're so great, you're so great. Oh, I haven't seen them for ages. What is she wearing? And we can do that where we can have hands in the air worshipping God, and yet we are not fully present in that moment, and we're not engaging. Listen, if that happens long enough, that's an early warning sign. Do I read the Bible because I'm supposed to or because I want to? Do I feel guilty when I hear of others' devotional experiences? Do I find myself critiquing or criticising everything rather than entering in and growing through it? Do you know what? One of the main dangers I see, and we, and we talked about this as elders, we see danger spiritually to us is cynicism. We're too cynical. I'm too cynical our British culture, forgive me if you're not British, is too cynical. This church, this church, many of us, we are too cynical. You know, I just, just spend lots of time with, with friends and stuff from overseas who we have a lot of fun with. We have loads of fun with. But a lot of these guys in, in other countries that I know, they're not as cynical as we are. And I love it. It is so refreshing. And yet often when I come back home, we're met with cynicism. And I find it rising in my own life. And that's not the same as being critical or being cautious or being observant. Cynicism is a deliberate position where everything is almost, we're looking for some reason why that's not great or why that's, you know, not good. And we're just looking in that way and it kills us spiritually. And many Christians, they find themselves in a position where they're just criticizing for the sake of it because it's cynicism. And I want to say to you, it is a killer spiritually. I want, as I grow older and older, I want to be more open to God, don't you? I want to be more expectant. I want to be more childlike in my faith. I want to believe good things, you know? I don't want to be naive. It's not about being naive, but I want to be open. I do not want to be cynical. Do smiling, happy believers irritate you? 
then you could be in trouble. If smiling, happy believers irritate you, you may be in trouble. You may need to ask God to help you. Do I find myself trying to find ways of being less committed rather than more committed? Do I look to find a reason to leave before the end of the response time? Do I consistently do that? These could be early warning signs that something is going on with your first love. You know, when someone leaves a church, you do know the last thing that leaves is their body, don't you? Other things have left long before their body walks out the door. So what should we do? There's a clear thing from Jesus here. Remember the height from which you fought. In other words, remember where you were. Remember what God has done. Remember that passion that you once felt. And you know, the word remember is such an important biblical word. Because God knows <laughs> that we as human beings, and especially the older we get, we, we forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget, don't we? And so all of the sin and the bad stuff that's happened in our life and the failure and all that, we have no problem remembering that. And that's the stuff that God has said, I've forgotten that, mate. You have no problem remembering that. But the great things God has done, the great things God has said, the amazing things you've experienced, why do we forget those? And so God says, Jesus says, remember where you were. And then he says, repent. And repent literally means turn around and go a different direction. It's like you're on a road that's like this and you're going that direction. Repent means stop, turn and go a different way. I'm realising something as I'm getting older. You know, one of the things that hurts me the most is people that I know and love who've walked with God who are now not walking with God. It wrecks me like you wouldn't believe. I could cry just thinking about it right now. And I'm realising the older I get that there's more people that I know like that now. And so, I, you know, in Eastern Europe, I've been going to Bulgaria for 21 years. Some of my best friends are there and I've watched them grow up and stuff. And some of those guys that I've walked with for 15, 10, 15 years, they're not walking with God like they were. And that wrecks me. Others, they are, which is fantastic. But you know what? I'm realising this. When you're on a road going a certain direction, unless you stop and you turn around, there is nothing I can do for you spiritually. So if you're walking away from God, unless you stop and turn around and go a different way, nothing I can do will help you. Nothing anybody can do will help you. That's why I think Jesus let some people go. Because he knew that they were on a road and they weren't stopping. Now when someone says to me, actually I've stopped, I'm walking away from God, I don't want to do that. I want to get close to God, I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure how to do it. I'm struggling with this. But I've stopped walking that way and I'm facing that way all the time in the world for you. All the time in the world for you. But the sad thing is that some people just set their face and they're walking away. And we're the best thing we can do is to let them go. Repent. Return. Come home. Do the things you did at first. It's like Jesus saying, listen, you guys, you're doing some great stuff, but some of you, you've lost your first love. So remember what it was like. Stop in that direction and come home. Come home to the Father. Forget about what you're doing for a moment. Just come and love God. Just come and let God love you again. Just come and return to your first love. Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, we, as we pause, as we linger in Ephesus for a moment, as we, as we join with those believers 
who heard that message, who, the message that began with such great news, you're doing a great job, and, and they were. Lord, we stand and we want to identify it now. And we say, God, if we have lost our first love, or if, we, or if there are some early warning signs, Lord, we want to come to you. We want to remember. We want to repent. And we want to return. We want to come home to you. Lord, as we just use this song as a song to help us express our love to you and our worship to you. God, I pray that even right now we would somehow just forget everybody else for a moment and tune out all those other messages and all those other things. And we would just love you for these moments. We would just rekindle again that passion. We would just remind ourselves of what it is to live from the inside out. To live from that sense of passion and that sense of openness to God. And Lord, I pray that for many of us, this will just be the start of perhaps coming back to you and coming back to that passion. Or for some of us, it will just be that, just reminding ourselves of how great it is to live in relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's walked away from you and perhaps they're right at the edge of that road, God, I pray that even now that you would stop them and that they would turn and that they would begin that walk back to you. So Lord, as we worship you, God, I just pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth and with passion. In Jesus' name. Father, we bring ourselves to you as individuals and and as a community of faith. And we we say to you, Lord, we do love you. And God, we want to remain passionate. Lord, as we get older, as individuals and as a church, we want that passion to grow, not diminish. We want that passion to grow, that we would love you more, that we would live for you from the inside out, not because we have to, not out of duty or out of compulsion, but out of a response to your love. Lord, I pray that individually, God, some of us may just have heard you whisper that early warning sign, that's for you. And I pray, Lord, that we won't be like people that drive on when when the, the light on the dashboard is flashing, but we will stop and we will attend to it. Because we don't want to head in a direction that's away from you. God, we want to be with you. We want to live passionately for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You take your seats for a moment. And if that's God's message for you this morning, then you hold on to that, okay? We're going to move to Smyrna now. And this is what Smyrna looked like. As we move further north, we come to the city of Smyrna. This city still exists, but is now known as Izmir. Smyrna knew from an early stage that Rome would be the power player in the region, so lined itself up with Rome very, very quickly. Smyrna was famous for its magnificent and beautiful buildings. It was often called the Crown of Smyrna, and it was known as the first in Asia for size and beauty. It's no wonder that Jesus begins his message to this church with these words, I am the first and the last. And he ends with the words, so be faithful and I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna was the center for the cult of emperor worship. So Jesus' message about his supremacy and his authority was vitally important in this part of the world. The most famous resident of Smyrna was a bishop called Polycarp, who in his 80s, without making any sound, with offering no resistance, went to the stake and was burned, was martyred for his faith. This is the church in the crown city, the first city. Smyrna, you've got mail. 
chapter 2 and verse 8. Just before we look at this, ask you a question. Who here is competitive? <laughs> Some of you said, I'm going to be the first to put my hand up for that. <laughs> Who loves to be number one? Oh, loads of you do, but don't want to admit it. Smyrna was a competitive city. In these cities in Asia Minor, a lot of them competed with each other for the affections of Rome and to be considered as the greatest city, to be the one that Rome looked at with favour, to be the one that, um, you know, that, that won accolades and plaudits. And Smyrna considered itself the first and the best city. It's interesting that in 600 BC, the city is wiped out by an invasion. For 400 years, it's a ghost town. Then 200 years, uh, 200 BC, the city is resurrected. They used to say it was dead and now it's come to life. That's what they used to say about their own city. So put that together, Smyrna considered itself the first and the best and that it died and that it came back to life. Isn't that interesting that Jesus then uses these words to address this place. These are the words of him. Who is the first and the last who died and came to life again? What Jesus is saying to the city as well as the church is this. Listen, you think you're the first and the best. You think you died and came back to life. But I want to tell you, I'm the daddy. That's what he's saying, isn't it? I am the first and the last. I'm the one that died and came back to life again. And then he addresses the church. And he says something. In fact, I want to suggest to you that the first two words... In verse 9 are some of the most beautiful words you can ever hear from God. He kind of walks amongst them and he says, Listen, Smyrna, I want you to know this. I know. Isn't that amazing? I know. And he goes on to talk about your poverty and your afflictions and your suffering and persecution and prison. And you need to understand that a lot of the words that he uses, yes, they are relevant to real things, external things, but a lot of the Greek words actually mean internal more than external. So the word afflictions means internal pain and internal pressure more than external. And the idea of prisons isn't just literal prisons, but it can be figurative prisons. And it's a little bit like he's saying, listen, I know you guys, I know you guys, you're living in a godless place and you're going through difficulties, but I want you to know something I know. Somebody just came to me uh, in the worship when we were singing then and just felt that God gave them a picture of somebody here. And that last evening you were sat and you were kind of like almost crying saying, God, do you really understand the situation that I'm going through? And God wanted you to know, yes, he does. And perhaps even these words that I'm bringing to you today are kind of like God saying to you, listen, you think that I don't know, but I do know. And it's like Jesus says, I know you. I know your poverty. I know the difficulty you're in. I know the suffering. I know the pain. I know all of that. And if we can pause from Smyrna for a while and apply it to us, it's a little bit like Jesus wants to say, do you know what? I'm walking among you and I want you to know, Merlin, I know. Matt, I know. Martin, I know. Shirley, I know. And for some of you this morning, you say, oh yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought, nobody knows what I'm going through? There's that old Negro spiritual, isn't there? The old spiritual that says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen or something like that. And when you're going through something, you can easily feel that nobody understands what you're going through. But I want you to know, that may be true of a lot of people around you, but it's not true of your God. He knows. He wants to say, I know you're single and you're struggling with that right now. I know that you're a lone parent and you're struggling with that. 
I know you're going through a difficult marriage. I know that you're in a very, very difficult job situation. I know you've not got a job and you're looking for one. I know you're going through a health challenge. I know you're going through a financial challenge. I know that, you've, that you're going through friendship challenges. I know that you're going through emotional challenges. And Jesus just wants to say to you today, I know. I know. And you might say, well, that's all very well and good, but are you going to change it? <laughs> but I tell you what, you've got to pause there for a moment. Because to know that he knows is powerful. I know. I know. I know what you're going through. And then there's a message that comes to them. And I believe this is a message to us. And he goes on to say, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know the slander of those who say, blah, blah, blah. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will put some of you in prison and test you. You're going to suffer persecution. And then he says, be faithful. Wow. So we've got mail this morning. We've got a message from Smyrna as well, from this text, from Jesus. And it's this, Zion, be faithful. Don't just be passionate, but be faithful. Now, it's easy to be faithful when life's going well, isn't it? But the context of this is when you are going through difficulty and suffering, and the word suffering there is more about the internal suffering and sorrows that you go through. So don't think, oh yeah, they're talking about persecution and prisons and that doesn't apply to us. This message is more about the internal suffering and distress that you're going through, sorrow that we all go through. And Jesus said, when you're going through tough times, be faithful. Be faithful. How long? How long am I going to go through this tough time? Well, interestingly enough, there's a time there, isn't there? The devil's going to test you and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. That sounds to me like a prophetic word, doesn't it? If you ever heard that, you will su- it's not a great prophetic word. If you receive this, you're going to suffer from the devil for 10 days. Now, can I, if you ever give anybody a word from God, be really careful about how specific you are. In fact, I want to encourage you to come on Tuesday evening because we're going to look at this whole area. We're going to look at what the Bible says about gifts in the Spirit, about giving words to one another, about dreams and visions and speaking in tongues and all this stuff. Really be careful when you're specific because that phrase 10 days doesn't mean 10 days. It's frustrating about the Bible, isn't it? You don't know that unless you, unless you understand it. But you know, when you study that, it doesn't really mean 10 days. It's a biblical term. It literally means a brief period of time. It's like that idea of 70 times 7, Jesus says to Peter, that's like forever. But a brief period, for 10 days, it's like, it's a brief period of time. And it's like Jesus saying, you know, you're going to suffer for a brief period of time. It's just like 10 days. Now that 10 days might last years, but it's a brief period of time in the light of eternity. And also he wants you to know this, it will not last forever. There will come a day when that 10 days will be done. So you're going to go through some difficulty and some suffering, but it's a brief period of time. It's 10 days. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's just 10 days. I want you to do that because I want you to hear, I want you to hear that phrase because this week, this week, this month, this year, some of you are going to need to remind yourself, do you know what? It's just 10 days. It's just 10 days. It's a brief period of time in the context of eternity. Now my 10 days might be years, but it's 10 days. It will stop. It will end. Hallelujah. It will end. And through the 10 days, the message to you and me is this. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. 
to God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Amazing. Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, we wish. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen to this. For our light and momentary troubles. The light and momentary troubles Paul is referring to are shipwrecks, beatings, floggings, imprisonment, stonings, being driven out of cities. It's not light and momentary. But that's how he views them in the light of eternity. They're brief, and you know what? They're 10 days. It's 10 days. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Listen, this is so important biblically. You have to get this. When you go through difficulties and you stay faithful, that very process of staying faithful through the difficulties produces in you an eternal weight of glory which is heavier than the difficulties you went through. If you don't understand, if you never heard that, that is biblical truth that we need to get a hold of. When you go through difficulties and you stay faithful... It achieves in you a weight of glory that is weightier and heavier and more valuable than the weight of the troubles you went through. How long are we to be faithful for? Well, Jesus says, even to the point of death. doesn't mean when someone kills you. It means when you die. It means that you are to be faithful for the rest of your life. How many of you would love to be faithful to God for the rest of your life? How many of us also know that we know other people who have also said that and haven't been? And I want to be, don't you? I want to be faithful to God for the rest of my life. What will happen if we do? Well, he says then, you know, and then I will give you the crown of life. This is an interesting phrase. In the Roman world, coins had an image of the emperor on with a crown. It's where we get the word diadem from, the crown. We sing it in one of our old hymns. And it's like Jesus saying, you know what, Smyrna loves sucking up to Rome and this is a great big city, but you know what, you're going to get the crown of life. You're going to get like a coin with my head on it. You're going to get real life if you stay faithful. James says in chapter 1 verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let me give you a couple of examples before we, we draw it to a close. The guy that I mentioned on the video, Polycarp, what a fascinating guy. Let me read his story to you. He was a, he'd have been a student of John, uh, of the Apostle John. But he was on the run late in his life when the persecution was hitting the church. While he was traveling, a child recognized him and immediately informed the soldiers. When he, they found Polycarp eating, he offered to share his food with the soldiers who were coming to arrest him. Crazy is that? After eating together, Polycarp asked if he could have one hour to pray. The soldiers agreed, but later regretted their decision. Polycarp prayed so fervently that the soldiers were convicted of their own sin. <laughs> Can you imagine that? So they came to arrest him and he said, can I pray? And they said, yeah. They, he prayed so much, they were, oh, we're sinners, what do we need to do? So they kind of regretted that in one sense. Eventually, Polycarp was brought before the governor, who sentenced him to be burned in the marketplace. The governor gave him the opportunity to save his life all he had to do was to deny Jesus. Polycarp refused, stating, For 86 years I have been faithful to him. How then should I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Isn't that phenomenal? Like, I've been faithful. And I'm going to be faithful even to the point of death. 
They secured Polycarp to a stake and lit the wood around him. The flames rose up around the courageous believer, but miraculously did not burn a hair on his body. The governor was furious. He ordered a soldier to pierce the Christian side. Story goes that when the blood came out, the flames stopped. They had to light it again. They finally succeeded in killing Polycarp, but were unable to kill his faith and triumphant spirit. His last recorded prayer was this. I praise you for making me worthy to be received among the number of the martyrs this day and this hour so that I share in the cup of Christ for the resurrection of my soul. It's phenomenal, isn't it? And I think when you look back in history and you look at people like that, it's easy to think, wow. And we aspire to it, but it's so far out of reach that we disconnect from it. Last week, we were in Albania, Simon, Pete and myself. And it was, many of you know that a friend of mine, a pastor, Tani, was shot and murdered last week. October, he was killed, shot, shot as he ran, as he ran, shot in the back twice and then in the head. And he was killed because he was part of a blood feud that happens in the north of Albania. And uh, as I went this, this year again, and I, I just spoke to his widow just, just a couple of weeks before, and just heard what was going on in her life, and, and chatted to some people out there who know the situation, who gave me a lot more detail about what had happened. For five or six years, they lived under this blood feud. And there are 600 families in northern Albania that are living in, in, under this blood feud. It's just a horrific thing. And what happens is that when, when, you get, when something happens between families and they say, right, we're going to kill somebody. And in Tani's case, they said, right, we're going to kill the best of your family, which was, which was either Tani or his brother. And this is what I want, I want you to think about. Because this is not Polycarp now. This is people that I know. Real people that I know. And Tani and his brother, for five or six years... You know, were kind of. Tani was leading a church. They, the, the, the blood feud was that they can't take you when you're in the house. They can't take you when you're in someone else's building. They can take you when you're outside. So five or six years they lived like that. He said to his brother, "You know, if either of us gets killed, we must commit that it stops there." See what would happen in that is if one of them was killed, then the brother would then go and try and kill somebody else, and it would go on and on and on. And when they killed Tani last October, his brother and the elders of the family went to the family of the, of the people that had killed him. They said, we want you to know it's over now. It's finished. We're not going to take any revenge. It's done. And here's the other thing. That his wife, Elona, who's 32, who's got two kids under 11. Do you know what she's doing now? Just a few months later, she's leading that church in that town. And she's working with 30 families who are all locked in their house because they're also under the blood feud. And she set up a charity with the call to bring an end to this senseless, needless violence. And I look at that and I think, you're faithful, isn't it? You're faithful. You're passionate and you're faithful. And you're living it out. And do you know what? Tani's got his crown of life right now, I believe it. And one day she's going to have one as well. And I want to say to us, you know, you might say, whoa, dramatic stories. You know, that's not relevant to us. But whenever you are faithful... When you're going through suffering or sorrow of any description, you receive a glory. You receive a weight. You might say to yourself, well, that's okay for you to say that, Leon, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know the difficulties that I'm in. You don't know the sorrow that I'm feeling. And I don't. But he does, doesn't he? He does. And he comes to you and says, listen, if you would just stay faithful to me through your 10 days you will receive a crown of life. And you might say, well, how do I do that? Well, I want to show you something as we finish to hopefully help us to understand what it 
what I'm trying to get at really here this morning. There's one more. This is not an illustration unique to me. I've stolen this from somebody else. Let me just clear that up. I've got two candles. Do you notice anything about the two candles? One candle's a really thick candle. It's got a lot of wax. The other candle's really thin. It's not got a lot of wax at all. And I don't use cigarette lighters very often, believe it or not. So last time I did this at the nine, it burnt my finger. Here you go. And this time it's definitely going to burn my finger. What do you notice now? Light's the same. It's interesting. In in verse 9, look at what it says in verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know your poverty, yet you're rich. How can you be poor and rich at the same time? It's like, how can you be full and empty at the same time? Do you know what he's saying is this? He's saying, listen guys, I know what you have, all right, compared to other people, but you don't know what you really have. And here's the thought I want to leave you with. How much wax you have in your life, okay, is different. Some people have got a lot. They've got a lot of wealth. Their family is great. They've got a lot of good things. They've got a lot of health. They've got a lot of wax. That does not determine the light that your life gives. Because the wick is exactly the same. Everyone is born into this planet with the same ability and potential to be a light for Jesus. We're just given different wax. We're just given different wax. Some people have a thick amount of wax. Some people have a thin amount. The light is the same. You're poor and yet you are rich. You don't have a lot of wax compared to the other people. Yet you are rich if your wick is lit. See, that's the key thing. Because if your wick is lit, not only are you giving off light, you're giving off heat and there is the potential to light other candles as well. Isn't that amazing? And yet some of us, you see, when we go through our 10 days, we look at other people and say, if only I had more wax... If only I had what they had, if only I had the job that they had, or the car that they had, or the, or the, or the, or the, the mental ability that they had, or the character that they had, or the this, or the that, or the other, and we say, if only I had more wax, then I could be brighter for you, then I could be faithful. And God says, it doesn't matter how much wax you've got, it matters whether your wick is lit. And you know, the amazing thing is that Jesus is the light of the world, and he is the one that lights lives, isn't he? He's the one that lights the wicks. I don't know whether you've ever heard of a guy called Carlos Slim. Anyone ever heard of Carlos Slim? He's the richest man in the world. He's a Mexican businessman. Just for fun, he built a museum costing $60 million just to put in his own works of art and stuff that he collected. He's got a lot of wax. But his wick is exactly the same as yours and mine. The issue isn't about how rich we are or how thick the wax is. The issue is, are we on fire for Jesus? And as we finish today, I want to say, if you're going through your 10 days right now, be faithful. Be faithful. How do you do that? Make sure you're lit. Make sure you're lit. Make sure that Jesus is light in your life. And you might say, I wish I had more wax, and that's fine. But listen, don't focus on the wax. Make sure you're lit for Him. Amen.
Let's pray. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Ask the band to come back up. I want to do two things this morning as we close. I want to give a, a response for all of us. And then I want us to specifically ask a few people to come out. And we want to pray for you specifically this morning. But first, I want us just to close our eyes for a moment. And if you, today, you're going through your 10 days. You're going through a 10 days. And immediately, some of you say, oh, well, I'm not being burnt at the stake. And I'm not, my husband hasn't been murdered. And all that stuff. Just ignore all that. You're going through difficulty. Internal, external, or both. You're going through a time of sorrow. You're going through a time of difficulty. You're go, you feel a little bit constrained. You're in a prison. Well, you're going through a tough time. And more, and more than anything else, you want to be faithful. You want to stay lit. Then I want you just to stand right now. And I want to pray for you. Father, we just, this awesome holy moment, we just say we love you, Lord. God, we just, we want to just, see ourselves there now in, with that church from Smyrna hearing this message and I'm the first and the last and I died but I've come back to life again and I know Lord I just pray that we'd hear that everyone who's standing I pray they'd hear that really clear I know and then Lord I pray that Father you would help us to stay lit for you I pray that all these folks standing Lord, I pray God that you'd help them to stay faithful to you right until the end right until the end and Lord their 10 days is going to finish I don't know when I don't know when but it will come to an end and all through this period God I pray that they would stay lit for you Lord Jesus I pray that they would be alive and burning and on fire for you help them encourage them and strengthen them Lord if that flame is like a flicker right now it's fading fast God breathe life into it fan it in the flame again I pray And Lord, there will come a moment when you'll say, okay, the 10 days is over. And Lord, that will be a great moment. But until that moment, Lord, please help them to stay faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.